This episode contains spoilers. Please listen responsibly. Hello everyone, my name is Jason Ramirez and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Hit List Podcast. A podcast where me and a guest cross off films from our watch list by watching them. I'm joined today by Los Angeles-based film and TV editor, writer for Movie Maker, and someone who likes mushrooms and baking on his pizza. You know, a real sound guy, you know. We have Andy Young. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to talk about some movies. So before we get started, can you tell me more about your streaming viewing habits? Whenever you sit down to watch a movie... Do you choose something new or do you stick to your favorites? That's a great. I feel like it kind of changed with the pandemic. Like before the pandemic, I was like working more and I would generally go to theaters more to watch like new movies. So when I would come home, I would like watch The Simpsons or watch, you know, stuff I've seen a million times to just relax. But with the pandemic and not being able to leave, I watched like 500 plus movies last year, most of which was stuff I'd never seen before because I was like, well, if I'm not going out, I want to try to, you know, expand my knowledge of cinema. So I'd be like, one week I'll try to watch all of Akira Kurosawa's movies. One week I'll try to uh, jump into a bunch of, like, French New Wave I'd never seen before. Really, like, try to expand my horizons. So I feel like generally I'm in my comfort zone when I'm just watching, like, MacGruber a million times or, like, any of my go-to, like, favorite, like, comfort food movies. But because of the pandemic, I feel like I've gotten more into the habit of, like, trying to reach out and try to watch stuff that I might have never uh, tried to watch uh, before the pandemic. Yeah, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with that because this is the reason why I made the podcast because of the pandemic. Sure. So like the way the way it happened was when the pandemic was announced, we went on our spring break and our spring break was extended by another week. And so I was just saying, you know, I'm just going to watch movies that are on my list. But then I found myself rewatching the same stuff over and over again. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch all the movies on my list. I love it. And it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've been able to bring in people to like also come with the challenge with me. And it's always like a different guest each episode. So I'm really excited that I've also influenced other people to like expand their horizons. Yeah. And also like watch movies that are on their list. You know, I also uh, I co-host a podcast with a buddy I went to film school with uh, called Best Picture, where we're watching all of the films that won Best Picture in order and then talking about the Oscars that year. And it has been like, there's something nice about like every Sunday or whatever, we're going to talk about this. So every Saturday you need to watch a movie. And it's, there's something really nice about that. Like you kind of forced me to watch a, a movie that's been on my list for a long time, but then also rewatch something I hadn't seen since theaters. So that's a really cool way to do it and to bring other people into it. I love it. So how do you do that? Do you like watch like by year, like chronologically? Yeah, we started from Wings, the first film ever to win. And then we've been going through, we just recorded our episode for um how green was my valley which is famously the film that beat citizen kane uh and we're gonna start uh i just rewatched casablanca last night for it so it's like and then i need to watch miss miniver next even though i kind of skipped around in order but we're literally we're starting from the because we figured we're starting to have guests and it's like if we had started done them anywhere it's like everybody's gonna want to do parasite but it's like no let's like go chronological <laughs> order and uh watch them all in a row gotcha citizen kane was actually the previous episode so oh, i right? gonna take a listen to that one. there you go yeah, yeah yeah uh yeah i just i rewatched it for uh because mankla came out last year um yeah what's been your favorite like film that you've let's say like discovered so far through your podcast like what's the one that like really like caught you off guard or like this is the big one that like i really loved i would have to say Candyman. oh interesting okay Wow. Yeah, so 
episode four of, I think it was episode three. Anyway, one of the early episodes, I decided to watch it because it was recommended by like this YouTuber called um, Code Crash Pictures. He made a whole video about it. And so I was just like, you know what? Might as well put it on my list. And then when I saw it, I'm like, why didn't I see this sooner? Like, I, <laughs> it was like, it was two things. Cause like, why didn't I see this sooner? And also, I probably didn't see it sooner because I was a scaredy cat back then. Oh, yeah. Cause this is a scary film. It's a very graphic movie. And it's not for everyone because it is graphic. But yeah. since that movie, I've, since I've watched it, I've told people like, it should be like an essential film to watch alongside like movies like Jaws. Oh sure, it's definitely like I remember watching it. My older, my friend's older brother like always had like movies for us to watch. Like I like he the one I famously tell is that he convinced us the Blair Witch Project was re- real because he was just like, <laughs> oh, I just found this VHS tape. I was like, why does it have a blockbuster sticker? On? Doesn't matter. Let's watch it. Um, but Candyman was a big one that was like that as well. That just like watched it way too early and. Uh, definitely scarred my brain a little bit and i think they're remaking it uh i feel like it's coming out like this year or next year they did a remake but i don't know how you've topped yeah what they did in that first one uh because it is pretty uh visceral film so from what i've seen the details of it i think it's a sequel okay i believe it's a sequel to that oh interesting um, it's like uh yeah because the baby the baby in the film is now an adult oh that's clever i like that that's actually kind of a cool take on it i thought it was like a t- like just a like a remake kind of thing that's cool I, I might check that out then so let's get to the two films we will be discussing today let's do it we'll be discussing sound of metal directed by darius martyr and hush directed by mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. so these two films they, ha- they share a common theme of the deaf community yeah it's a deaf double bill yeah there we go there we go <laughs> Sound of Metal is a 2019 American drama film directed and co-written by Darius Martyr and starring Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, Paul Racy, Lauren Ridloff, and Matteo Amaric. That's a French name. I have a hard time. Oh, the dad. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a toughie. Yeah. It tells a story of a drummer who begins to lose his hearing and has to deal with, the, deal with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Sound of Metal was on Andy's list. Uh, Andy, why was this movie on your list? Uh, I'm a massive uh, Riz Ahmed fan. He's one of my favorite actors. I think it was a big one. You know, it's weird. Again, it's like the pandemic. I'm usually always I I usually in normal years would watch like three four films a year or a year please uh, three four films a week at the movies. I I just love going to movie theaters. It's the best way to see stuff. And this was a big one. I was really excited about because I'd heard a lot of buzz from it from. I think it was at Toronto in like 2019 or something like that. But I just it'd been on my list for a long time. And then when everything happened, it just kind of got paused. And it, it has been out now for a while, but I just kept kind of like putting it off. But then when you pitched me the podcast and you were like, I want to rewatch Hush, I was like, OK, what can I do that's kind of in line with that? And I thought, oh, well, this is a, a movie about, you know, someone that's also like essentially this is almost the prequel with somebody losing their hearing and feeling powerless. And then to me, hush is something about someone who lost their hearing is very powerful, but it's also, I, it, it hits a little close to home because I went to a lot of punk shows as a kid in high school and stuff. And my mom was always like, you got to wear earplugs or you're going to lose your hearing like me. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And now uh, all my <laughs> friends make fun of me because I talk so loud. So uh, yeah, always listen to your mother. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I wanted to watch it for, but I uh, I'm just a big Riz Ahmed fan at the end of the day, and it was really cool to get to see him uh, do a part uh, that was this juicy. Yeah, I, I would say that this has only been on my radar radar for about a month mm-hmm. because a couple of my friends loved it because it, it had recently come out on Amazon Prime. It came out on Amazon Prime like back in December, mm-hmm. so it's only been there for like well close to two months actually. Yeah. But it's made a huge impression on people. 
And the thing is, it's it came out in 2019 actually because it was a part of like the Toronto oh, was International Toronto. Okay, Film cool. Festival. Yeah, because a friend yeah. of mine, I know a friend of mine had seen it there, and that was the big one where he like I knew it from that, and it'd been on my radar at least since then, and I was excited because again, I just love the uh, Riz Ahmed. Uh, anything he does, I try to watch. Yeah. So initial thoughts. What did you think about it? I loved it. It's uh, it would have been one of my favorite films of the year if I had seen it last year. It's uh. It's a very visceral film. I'm always very interested in how we portray blindness and deafness uh, in film. It kind of reminded me of my friends made this really great documentary called Delt. That's about Richard Turner, who's uh, this incredible. He's one of the best card magicians in the world, but he's also blind. Uh, And it has a lot of the similar kind of things of like someone who kind of struggles with that and like coming to terms with the fact that like I you know that uh, you're becoming blind or you're becoming deaf there's a lot of similar parallels in Richard's story but it's also just there's something really that I, I'm really drawn to of someone like loving this one thing more than anything and then it being stripped away from him but I also I wasn't expecting the whole thing of that he was an addict and how that would play into it and I don't know. I, I don't want to talk it to death too much. There's a lot of other little things I want to talk about, especially with how much the ending really hit me. But those were kind of my initial thoughts. I love Riz Ahmed. Olivia Cook's been on my radar for a long time, and she was amazing in this. And I really, it's the director's first film, but he had co-written a movie that I really liked from a while ago called The Place Beyond the Pines. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that was like one of my uh, big ones uh, that I really liked uh, when that came out. And it was cool to see him get to direct a film. And I think Derek Cianfrance, who directed Place Beyond the Fives, I think he's a producer on this. But yeah, it was just get, uh, cool to get to see him bring something new to the screen. Yeah, what about you? What, did, what were your initial thoughts? I thought it was all right. All right. <laughs> like, no, come on, man. <laughs> I, I think it's a, I think it's a good movie, but it's definitely not something that will be, um, that I would like reach out and see. Cause I've said this before. I'm a huge genre film watcher. Like I love okay. like, stuff that's made for, for like a general audience Interesting. and also like action movies. That's what I'm more into, but I, that's that's, okay. I don't want to take that away from like the performance in this film because it was an amazing performance from like everyone in the cast. Yeah, and I I really love the way they portrayed like the deaf community right there, and something that the director even said because this is something he also had to work on himself because he sure. used to think that deafness was a barrier, but as he began to grow more understanding from it, he saw it as a community and a culture, mm-hmm. and he believes he's done a good job, and so did the people in the in the movie of portraying that community and culture, and I, I think he's also done a good job there. Well, I think he did it great for the deaf community, but also for the addict community. And I, again, the big thing that I, I imagine it's cool to spoil the movie on this because I assume people might listen to it. But the big thing that really hit me was the ending where it's just, you know, he keeps he's never able to be still. He's always fidgeting. He's always like frenetic. He always has to be like smoking a cigarette or like moving his hands. Or again, he's a drummer. Like he always has to be moving and in motion. And the guy that runs the uh, house like finally tells him, like, you need to be comfortable in the stillness. And he goes to all these like troubles to get away from that, including like this like artificial hearing thing, which again just makes the one thing he loved music just sound like harsh and dangerous. Like uh, I, I think a lot about that uh, thing where Olivia Cook's playing piano with her father and we hear it and it's like this beautiful duet. And then it goes into him and it's just this like clippy noise. And it's just this heartbreaking thing on Rizamid's face. And that's why the ending really hit me so hard is like seeing him finally turn it off. And we're, I, I love juxtaposition as an editor. So seeing, these images that were like so noisy and chaotic before now just like very still and peaceful and him coming to terms with this. I don't know that it really hit me like a ton of bricks. I I really appreciated how he chose to portray that. I thought that was really interesting. 
I'm regretting though. There's a movie. Well, remind me because there's a genre movie I wish I had pitched instead that I feel like you would like a lot more. Or not a genre movie. It's more of like a horror thriller movie that might that was in line with Hush. I'll tell I'll tell you more about it when we talk about Hush though. Gotcha. I will say like that edit, the editing in this film, the sound design is also an amazing job. Did you watch this movie with headphones or? No, I kind of regret it though. I have a pretty good sound system, but my my roommate's a teacher, so I had to watch it a little low. If if I watch it again, I'll probably do it with headphones. But that was like I really loved how they portrayed that, especially with the score. I made the great decision, I would say, on my part, to watch on the headphones, and it really takes you in there because like there's some things you hear on your left ear and not on your right ear, or sometimes in your right ear and not your left ear. Sure. It's it's really hard to describe in words because like I'm not a very good descriptive person, but. Hot tip for you guys: If you watch this movie, watch it with headphones on. There you go. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, sound design film for sh- sure. Uh, the way that it portrays again deafness, but also his anxiety and his inner demons was really fantastic. And again, like it, I, I, it's just I, I'm a big sucker for like when writers finally be- become directors, and I thought he did an incredible job. There's just so many like little details uh, that I loved in the background of you know their van and getting to know who they are, and just little things that we see like her arm and just the stuff that like he shows like very quick like glimpses of but it's never like overt and over your head and again it just gives a lot of room for the performers to get to express what they're going for and yeah which i loved about riz Ahmed in any movie i see him in what were your favorite scenes in this movie oh man definitely i mean all the stuff of him drumming really takes me back to my days of like going to a lot of punk shows as a kid but like i think my favorite stuff was when he's at the deaf school and he's really having trouble adjusting to it. So he goes outside for a bit uh, to get away from things. And he's sitting on the this like tin slide. And there's this kid who's like kind of like nonsensically like drumming on the thing to just try to hear the reverberation. So he kind of relents and starts doing it for him. And it just reminds me of like, you know, this guy was a drummer. The thing he loved to do was express himself musically. And to get to see him do it again in a different way. That was a really uh, powerful moment that hit me really hard. But then it also, it, like from that, we go into this great montage of him finally like racing to learn all of the sign language and like figuring out uh, different tricks of like becoming a deaf person and you know getting to know more people in the attic house. That was definitely probably my favorite moment that really hit me hard. Uh, what about you? What was your favorite scene? Yeah, I, I pretty much the same thing you said. Uh, I, I really liked the scene. I think it comes shortly after where they're racing to do the alphabet in sign language. Yeah. And they're, like, try, they're really competitive about that. And like, he's he's really finally like letting himself into the community. And yeah. it, it was really great to see that. He's even doing the sign language like again, again, again. It's great. So you told me you wanted to learn about the production. So I actually took a couple hours of, of watching a lot of YouTube videos and variety to like distill it down as much as possible. So if you want more information, um, do it yourself. <laughs> Shoot, I thought you were gonna like give me the lead, like uh, like how Riz prepared and shit. Like, uh, is there anything? Oh, yeah, in- I'm gonna talk- <laughs> All right. So basically, this story, the story for this film, came about basically it was ten years in the making for for Darius, the director, because it originally came about for like a documentary from a band called Jucifer. And it's about a couple that plays like super loud music and he wants to explore the relationship that they had on the codependency. Mm. So he's been working on that for over 10 years. So it's like learning about that is like, wow, that's a lot of long time to do it. But you know what? I think I have to say it's kind of worth it because that movie is a great film with a lot of great actors. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, that that makes a lot of sense for that preparation for the couple as well. That's really good to hear that uh, that was the inspiration. Yeah. So like as far as preparation, they only had four weeks to shoot this film, but Olivia, she had she learned how to play the guitar, scream, and use a loop pedal in six weeks. 
<laughs> and Riz to learn ASL and how to drum. It took him six to seven months to do it. Sure. Yeah, and he's he's already a rapper and a musician. I didn't know this before. He's already a rapper and oh, a musician. Yeah. So learning the drums is like I don't know. I don't know. If he's he said it was hard, but when he said he was learning ASL, he said his teacher was a very patient man. <laughs> and I think yeah, also for the drummer teacher, yeah. They were very patient with him because he had to learn it like every day for like six to seven months. Yeah. Have you seen many movies with him, Riz Ahmed? I only know him from Rogue One. Oh, really? You've never seen uh, Nightcrawler is one I think you would really dig. It's a thriller starring. It was kind of. Oh, yeah. He was in that? Yeah, yeah. He's the like the assistant to um, Jake Gyllenhaal in that. He's uh, and everybody was like, oh, he's going to get like a supporting actor nod. Like he's great in that another one i think the first thing i ever saw him in was four lions uh and i've always really liked that director um but that was a really good one yeah he's done a lot he's one of those guys that's like he's done a ton of great indies and stuff but then he'll be in like uh like venom or yeah like you said like rogue one and stuff like that but yeah no he's he's one of those actors i've been watching a lot there's one that he did that hasn't come out yet uh called mogul uh mowgli that's uh, directed by this guy i'm really fascinated with uh basam uh, Tariq, who did a short film on my hometown called Ghost of Sugarland, which is on Netflix and I highly recommend it. But I was really excited to see that he was doing a narrative film and with one of my favorite actors. So definitely keep that one on your radar. That's going to come out later this year. And I'm really excited to see that one. But no, I, I'm a big, yeah, Riz Ahmed fan. And he's a great rapper too. Like it's worth looking up his uh, ciphers. I feel like there's videos of him in like Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, like doing really? stuff uh, on radio stations uh, back when like uh, Donald was touring the UK. But he's a really talented rapper as well. Yeah. I had to look him up. I had to look him up. Absolutely. And I see, like, the, for Mogul Mowgli, it's kind of the same plot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little similar from what I've heard, but uh, I am really excited to... Again, I'm just a massive fan of uh, Bassam's uh, movies that I've seen so far. So I always like uh, finding, like, short filmmakers that I like and seeing whatever their first feature ends up being. Gotcha. And... I found another interesting fact about this was that, like I said before, they only had four weeks to shoot this film, so they were pretty like limited, and they were also shooting on thirty-five millimeter film. Oh, they did! Wow. Yeah, that stuff expensive. So what they said, according to Riz, it was only one to two takes per scene, essentially. So like a lot of stuff is only took. It was rare to go beyond two takes. Sure. And when he was playing the drums, he still wasn't sure if he was still able to like play drums like live because he was in front of a live audience. And the people there aren't just extras. They're people who are there because they like the music. They're music enthusiasts. Yeah. And they're into like that genre and he doesn't want it. He wants to make it genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't too confident in his drumming ability, but Darius really encouraged him to continue with it. So yeah, they shot that scene live, um, that club scene live. Mm -hmm. And he was actually playing the music live on, yeah. on camera. So nice. it was really interesting to see that because like that's not easy. That's not easy not. at all. And that makes a lot of sense though. It's like that really. I mean, to, if it makes him feel any better, I went to a lot of those types of shows. He nailed it. I think it's pretty close to. <laughs> it really felt like being in the room of that kind of stuff. And again, it just being in a pandemic made me miss going to live music. But um, yeah, no, I I really uh enjoyed that, and I thought they they really nailed that uh type of music. Definitely. And he said they basically shot it chronologically as well. So, like, all the goodbyes that happened in the movie kind of felt like actual goodbyes. So, for the final scene with Paul, Racy, and Riz, mm -hmm. that scene where he kind of says, um, he says he has to leave. Mm -hmm. So, all the deaf cast had already left, and it was only those two guys on the set. And every day that they were there shooting with the deaf cast, it was sunny and everything. But on mm -hmm. that day, it was raining, it was cloudy, and it was overcast. Wow. So... That 
That's sign from the film gods, man, because that really works. I, I thought that they had done like some special lighting to try to make it feel a little more moody than what we've seen the rest of the house. But that's that's really fascinating to hear. That's awesome. Another thing that like I found very interesting because he got the, the earpieces, the implants. Mm-hmm. Riz, he actually wore those devices. They were custom made for his ears. And those devices made him hear white noise so that he couldn't hear his. It wouldn't allow him to hear his own voice. Interesting. Because I was wondering, like, when he's, like, starting to go diff, if he ever, like, they, like, put in, like, little, like, earplugs or something. So, it, like, he truly, like, has to, like, because the thing of this, if you lose your hearing, it's, like, you ha- you feel like you have to talk louder because you feel like everything else is quieter. Or you feel like, yeah, it's just, like, you're having to, like, talk over yourself almost. And he really nailed that uh, well when it's, like, he's clearly going deaf. I was, like, oh, I wonder if they actually did, like, put little stuff in his ears and then, like, mat it out in post or whatever um that's interesting he also wore a uh, a headpiece for for that uh that's really cool oh i was just gonna ask you i wonder how much research like the sound design team had to do as well like for like figuring out like how those implants the world would sound through those implants that'd be really interesting to figure out i'm not sure about that but like i know that one of the sound design guys he is a friend of darius's he's apparently like a french guy oh word okay when they went to do post they went to mexico with this other guy i think his name was carlos regala Okay. And at that place, they basically just only worked on sound for seven weeks. Wow. That's incredible. That's that's really cool. Oh, yeah. For the well check. So, like, basically the other, like, sound recording they had to do on set, like, closing the doors or whatever. Mm-hmm. They recorded the sounds of Riz chewing, swallowing, and blinking to get the internal soundscape. And I found that really interesting because chewing and swallowing, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. But blinking... That's a whole other level right there. It's a lot smaller, but again, he's like a very phonetic and anxious person. And uh, even if you don't like totally feel it, I can imagine why they did that to make you really feel that anxiety of just like, because we hear and see so much of the movie through his character that when we like, I love like those bits when we like push in and like we're hearing the world, how he hears it. I feel like that would amplify a lot of those sounds, even if it's stuff you wouldn't really hear like a blink. Like, I don't even know how you would actually record that or it seems like they would fake it, but. Yeah, chewing and swallowing definitely makes a lot more sense because, again, it's the stuff that's around your ears that you would act, like be able to hear more than anything else. Um, I love it. Th- those little touches. That's really cool. I, I, like, I'm not sure if you saw me. I was trying to blink, and I'm like, can I hear my blinking? And I'm like, I can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the headphones I have. <laughs> maybe. It's like I wonder, like, I feel like if I was really still, maybe I could hear like my heart beating or, yeah, I feel like I could hear my like jaw clenching, unclenching, like those weird like even when you smile, I remember uh, I went to a tool show once and they uh, at one point were just like, all right, we're going to be quiet. And everybody in the stadium like smile. And it was like one, two, three. And we all smiled. They made this really weird noise. It was like it was I don't know. It's just like those things where you're really focusing on one sound. Wow. <laughs> I can like imagine it's probably like the sound of their lips, or, like them inside the mouth. Like it's a little bit, I think it's like your jaw and hinging too, or like your lips kind of puckering apart, but you have to imagine like whatever it is, like 5,000 people doing that at the same time. It's a very strange right. experience to be a part of. And now a word from our sponsors. Now back to the show. So hush is a 2016 American slasher film directed and edited by Mike Flanagan. Uh, starring Kate Siegel, who also co-wrote the film with Flanagan. It's about a deaf writer who lives in sol- a solitary life in the woods. One night, a masked killer appears in her window. Uh, so, Jason, uh, why was Hush on your list? Okay, this is going to be a first for us. I don't know why. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I have a theory of how it's on your list, but I'll, I'll see if you can figure it out yourself. All you know has been there for the longest time. Not, I don't want to say longest time, but since... Netflix had it on. I just like put it on a list 
And I was like, you know what? I don't know why. It might have been around the time like I started getting into horror movies, which yeah. was not too long ago. But still, I don't know why. My theory is because you've seen some of the director's other movies. So it's it's Mike Flanagan who did uh, The Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor shows. But he also did like uh, one of the Ouija movies. He did Oculus and probably his most famous one, uh, Dr. Sleep, which is like the sequel to The Shining. So if you're like me, maybe you were just like, oh, I like this director's other movies. Uh, this one's highly rated or a lot of people like this one. I'll check this one out. So that would make sense. But the thing is, like, I, I even put it there even before the Haunting series. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I saw it back in, like, 2016, whenever it came out. Um, but what did you, uh, yeah, what were your initial thoughts, man? Like, did you dig it or? I loved it. It was a, a really great movie. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to say I liked it even more than Sound of Metal. Cause... Well, it sounds like you did because it's Sound of Metal. You were like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's not a high I, I guess I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed myself with this film a lot more. Yeah, it's a more fun movie for sure. Yeah, definitely. So basically, Death Rider in the woods, guys. It's And then like a serial killer just shows up in her window. And I was scared poopless for her. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize we were sensing ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's terrifying. It's um, And I'm a big fan of the actor who plays the serial killer, John Gallagher Jr., uh, he's another one of those guys. He's been in a ton of big stuff before, but he's also he'll do, do stuff like Ten Cloverfield Lane and like Underwater is another one that uh, he's really good in. But he's one again, one of my favorite actors. And uh, I really liked him in this. I will say my one complaint. And I'm curious to see if you share this complaint with me or if you if you think this was a big deal. I don't like in horror movies when someone is just evil for the sake of being evil. <laughs> when I first saw this movie, I was really excited about it. I was like, oh, maybe he's like, a fan of her books because she's a writer. Oh, maybe it's like he targets deaf people or, oh, like he always like, he finds these like secluded places in the woods and he's just like, nope, I just love killing. And to <laughs> me, that kind of is a like kind of, it reads as lazy writing to me a little bit, or it just feels like a missed opportunity. But I was a lot nicer to the film this time. Cause again, like what we were talking about with sound and metal, like the sound design in this movie is really incredible. I, I don't want to say I, I completely share your thoughts, but I understand what your complaint is essentially sure, sure. okay yeah because have you seen misery i'm sure you have of course yeah yeah so basically it could have been misery yeah. but in reverse yeah exactly well that's and that's what i was kind of thinking i was like oh it's gonna be it, i thought it was they were that's what they were doing was like a reverse misery like maybe he's too, he's too mad about her latest ending or whatever like hey yeah why did you kill my favorite character bring her back <laughs> <laughs> but i did love that he's uh that she's a writer because it gets into that writer brain and that's something that they kind of touch on in misery but there's something about that creative like i'm always you're always looking she has literally like 10 different endings to her book and we see her like act that out in her head and I like, I, I'm sure you're the same because you're a horror fan, but in horror movies, I like when the lead is smart. I like when they make decisions that I would make. I don't like when uh, they're making, when I have to be like, don't go in there because um, it's not something that I as a character would do. And that's something I really appreciated about this film is really getting into the survivalist instincts of like, what are my moves here? Uh, and I thought they covered that really well. Um, and again, it's Mike Flanagan. I've become a huge fan of how he blocks scenes and, uh, what he does with his cinematography. So that's been really cool to see. And it's interesting to think that um, Kate, uh, the actress who plays Maddie in the film, she didn't see herself as like a victim in the film. She saw her character as an action hero, kind of like in Die Hard. Oh, absolutely. Bruce Willis's character, he's, by the end of the movie, he is bloodied, he is tired, he is exhausted, but he's still a warrior. And that's how oh, she yeah. saw her character in that film. I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. It's like, 
you're trying you're just surviving you know trying like get rid of this guy who's just there for no reason you know yeah and she ends up using her deafness as a strength you know it's like she's able to like make this like blaring noise that like distracts him and like really like uh throws him to the ground like i don't know it's interesting i think we both watched hush and then sound of metal i feel like we should have done it the other way around because sound of metal is about someone struggling and learning to cope with being deaf and then hush is about this badass who like has totally conquered the medium and yeah she's like a total not even like a final girl she's a badass like she's a total superhero and uh again i like characters who are smarter than me making smart choices in horror movies to me that's uh more exciting and more interesting but again, I think John Gallagher Jr., he plays, like, as much as I don't like that basic, like, oh, I'm just a mad guy with a knife. I really like that he, like, took on that role so well of playing this, like, really, like, those those glares in his eyes and the way he tries to, like, trick the neighbor, like, that just demented stare. I, I think he just really nailed and knocked out of the park. I will say one of my, I don't want to say it's my favorite scenes, but one that was very chilling for me, like, I was, like, scared for her, was when John Gallagher's character who is just referred to as the man in mm-hmm. like the credits, he realizes that she can't hear him and he's basically inside her house and then takes her phone and then takes pictures of her with the phone and then sends it to her laptop. And then she realizes she's being like, you know, looked Watched at. by someone, because, yeah. Yeah, because that whole entire time, he could have killed her at any time. Mm-hmm. But he chose not to because he likes to play with his would-be victims. And in this case, also the other two people who also died in this movie. But again, I want to know why he wants to play with his victims. I want, I want a little motivation, Jason. I want, I want to see where this is coming from. <laughs> I, I don't want just notches on a crossbow. <laughs> notches on a crossbow. Yeah, what, like thirteen people yeah, on there? Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> Maybe that's we don't need to know. Maybe. <laughs> I guess so. That's what people have told me when I complained about this when it first came out. It's like you're overthinking it. You know, <laughs> but it's just the rest of the movie was so intelligent. I was like, I thought like, oh, we're so close. But right. It reminds me of like this movie I saw um, Collateral. Yeah, Collateral. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I saw it with my mom and my mom asked me, OK, what happens next? I'm like, what do you mean? The court case. Like, did they show the court case? I'm like, it takes place in one night, mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about surviving the night. It is. But I, I, always, I always think the same thing of like what what happens to these characters next. And this is a movie I kind of thought that too. But um, no, I think I really love, and especially because it sounds like you're an action guy, like I really loved how they staged the action uh, and the choreography of the film, like going around the house. Like it's that tightness that I always love. And like, I mean, one of the greatest movies of all time or I, the two big thrillers, same person, Jaws and like Jurassic Park. I love like that intense, like t- uh, tightness we get uh, with the characters when they're like hiding from something or they're waiting for something to happen. And I really loved uh, when what Mike Flanagan was able to do, especially in the kitchen, but also when she's like going out on the roof and stuff. Like, there's a lot of great uh, moments of truly incredible blocking, which is such a big. And I think I also just like that it's not a bunch of like, like I'm not a big fan of like jump scares. It's like when they're used really well, it's fantastic. But something I really like about Flanagan's work that I've seen is that it doesn't rely too heavily on like just you know having like it like the sound dips down. Whoop. Uh, I like that he finds other ways to scare us, and I think that's a more satisfying fright, as it were. Yeah, definitely. He also said, like, when he was making this film, he did, he wanted to go away from all that, like the cheap fr- oh, cheap frills, essentially. So it's great that you pointed that out. And also about the blocking, this is really interesting to like um, talk about because Flanagan and Siegel they're 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 a married couple, and so when oh, they're oh I didn't know that wow 
Yeah, it's really interesting uh, to like once you learn about that because they're doing the blocking in their own house, right? And it proved problematic for filming because when they went to shoot the film in Alabama, they couldn't find a house that matched the same house in where they lived at. Oh, wow. so they had to really adjust the script when they had to like find, when they eventually settled on the house that they got. Sure. As far as the like the movement, he used a steady cam to follow Seagull's every move, along with a boom mic and a spotter. Mm-hmm. But all the other sound, they had to like do ADR afterwards because apparently Flanagan said it, it sounded like a herd of elephants with the sound that they recorded on set. Oh, I'll bet, yeah. Oh wow, that's interesting. Because yeah, I remember, and I remember this film being a pretty big hit. And uh, that year, so I, I went to South by Southwest every year for the last ten years since, of course, the pandemic one. Yeah, I remember this being like a massive, this was like the hit at South by Southwest everyone was talking about. And it's been, yeah, pretty incredible to see it find this new life on, uh, I think it's been on Netflix for the last like five or six years. Um, (laughs) So it's been incredible to, again, I feel great that I finally got to watch it again. Oh, but I was going to recommend a movie I think you would appreciate. Uh, Have you ever seen Wait Until Dark? No, but they, I think they did talk about it in one of the articles I was reading about. That makes sense. I think you would love it. It's a, it's a psychological thriller. Audrey Hepburn was nominated for Best Actress for it, but she essentially, it's the same movie, but she's blind instead of deaf. Uh, and it's a lot of a similar, I imagine that would be like a huge influence. And it's weirdly, I remember like Henry Mancini does the music, which I, he's like Pink Panther and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it was interesting to see him do like a scary score for something. But that's one of my favorite psychological thrillers. And it's very, if I had known that, uh, I, I feel like that was one I was thinking of. It was either going to be that, that, but I had seen that before so, and I wanted to knock something off my list. But I feel like that would be a good one for your list. It's it's terrifying uh scary but it's also another like badass woman getting through this crazy situation gotcha i'll definitely look into that then yeah i think you would really enjoy it that's a it's a pretty incredible one for sure and on making the character deaf mute Flanagan said he originated from him wanting to do a movie without dialogue mm-hmm. and here's like a quote taken from him from the article from bloody disgusting which is an actual website i never knew it <laughs> yep yeah no i know bloody disgusting <laughs> He said, one of the things I'd always wanted to try, which would be so challenging to me as a director, was to try something without dialogue. I coupled that with this idea that Kate was talking about a lot, which was the anxiety of seeing somebody try to get into your house. We thought that if we made the lead character deaf mute, then we would create the potential for a really, really fascinating version of these movies. And then Kate continues, says, at that dinner, we were also discussing how the most scary aspect of the films we love was sound design. Mm-hmm. Sound design really sells a movie, so we were discussing ways to make sound design more of a character on a script level. Sure. To really make sure that sound design is something that gets the weight it deserves. The opposite of that is to remove the sound from the main character since you had to balance that somewhere else in the movie. So sound design is something that we really want to play with. I think that at the beginning, Maddie being a deaf mute was something that was more of a script challenge. Then as we started to meet this woman, we realized that it was a real benefit to character development, tension, and things like that. We could do things that we couldn't do if your character could speak or hear. Yeah. I also kind of like how they subverted expectation of, like, they keep... Because we do have the neighbor swing by, but, like, she keeps almost calling her ex-boyfriend or whatever. And I kept thinking, like, oh, he's going to swing by, and then he's going to be the next victim. And then we never see it. And there's something... I I like that kind of stuff where it's, like, you kind of... Like, I think some people would call that, like, a red herring or, like, oh, you should, like give some finality to this but there is something i like about that which i'm talking myself into like oh maybe it's fine if john gallagher jr just likes killing uh <laughs> maybe he doesn't need to be motivated by anything uh else or we don't need his whole backstory because that was my wife's uh, critique of my critique when we first saw the movie but i definitely li- I liked it a lot more uh this time around and that like final 
it's weird because these uh the two movies also kind of share like a final shot like there's just that like we were overcome with this like stillness all of a sudden and like i I don't have like both films up on me but i feel like those last two frames like both look pretty identical of this them both looking like kind of peaceful right um, you're right in their situation so it's not just a deaf double bill it works on uh, that level as well i didn't think about that until just now because like it's both a close-up on their extreme close-up on both of their faces Mm-hmm. yeah and it's just they're wow. both feeling that like stillness and peace of over uh of conquering this uh this obstacle uh to make it as general as possible but um yeah no that the uh, that's really uh that's really cool to hear though i also want to discuss like the stunts in the film because kate did it herself as well okay um but she she says she didn't know what she was getting herself into because she thought it would be fun but there's this moment in the film where like her hand is slammed in the door mm-hmm. right so here's this from the same article from bloody disgusting Right, and so they still had to slam your hand at the door. So what happened after take 12 or 13 was that I would start flinching before the slam, and that just couldn't happen. We had shot pretty much in order, so by that time, I had already been through a lot of stuff. I was jumping out of windows, climbing on the roof with a harness, and a lot of other things had happened. So I remember a point after some skin accidentally got pinched during the door slam. I just went, that's it, I'm done, we've got it. I took my hand away, and Mike's deep, deep love of actors came in, and he was like, Please know that you're in the right place right now. This is exactly right. This is your talent coming out. Please, can we try this again? <laughs> so I tried it one more time, and I think I think that's the take that we ended up using. Oh, that's great. I was going to say, I was like, it's got to be an interesting thing when it's like you're directing your wife, and you have to, and they're <laughs> in like physical pain, and it's just like, just one more, one more. Um, but that makes sense. I've heard he's a fantastic uh, actor's director. Uh, and again, if you haven't seen, I was really surprised. I had put off watching Doctor Sleep for a long time, because I love... The Shining, I think, is my favorite Kubrick movie. And I was like, oh, I don't want to see anybody like return to that world. But they really do. I, I love that movie. They really do something kind of interesting with it. And I think it's at its best when he doesn't try to just walk in Kubrick's uh, footsteps. He like tries his own uh, visual touches on it. And um, yeah, I, I definitely am a big Mike Flanagan fan now. Uh, so I, I highly recommend searching out some more of his movies. Gotcha. I think I'll, I'll finally put... Not put it, but actually watch Haunting Hill House because that's also on my list. See, I like the movie more, like the old one from the 60s. But like, I, I think I got like halfway through the series and I was finally like, ah, I, I, I'm good with the rest of it. I'm not as big of a horror fan, uh, but my wife is. So she I think she finished that uh, one without me. So, Jason, do you think uh, that you should have seen Hush a lot sooner or like, uh, what do you think? I think I think it could have benefited from watching it like last year, at least, you know. Sure. Being trapped in your house. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm still like in my house. I don't go out as much as I used to. Even before this pandemic, I was still much a homebody. About sure, sure. 2019 was a very, very busy year for me. And I thought I was going to continue to 2020. But no, it didn't happen. But I think I could have benefited from watching this last year because I watched Scream 4 last year as well. And I really liked that movie. I really like that movie. Okay. So I think watching Hush afterwards would have been like a really good follow-up to that movie. That'd be a good devil. Is Scream 4 your favorite of the Screams? Because I think I always go back like the first two are, to me are the only good ones. I don't really like any of the other uh, Scream movies. I want to say it's the best one, but like the way it happens is that like I'll watch it whenever it was available. So like there, I think there's a moment where Scream 1 and Scream 3 were on Netflix, but not Scream 2. Mm. And I'd never seen the movies before, so I was like trying to watch it in order. Yeah, so, like, whenever it was available to watch, I'll, like, watch it. Yeah. Scream 4 just happened to be available on demand, so I just, like, watched it. Sure. Because I'm a big, like, sucker for, like, that horror comedy genre. Like, obviously, like, Shaun of the Dead is the pinnacle of it, but, I mean, Wes Craven is the 
you know, that like he uh, crawled so Edgar Wright could run. So it's I, I always love seeing like Wes Craven's like his straight up horror movies. But then like the meta, I, I like the meta-ness of like Scream and Scream 2. Um, I'm a big sucker for it. And like that again, it's just like incredible blocking and kitchen blocking as well. So there you go. That that would be a good uh, uh, double bill with the with this as well. That makes sense. I forgot what happened to Scream 3, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. Is, the, is that what the Scream 3 is like Jay and Silent Bob or have a cameo on it. That's all I remember from that one. But I think I, and to me, the, the best ones are one and two. And no, one, one is the best one. Uh, but two is yeah, like really good as well. Definitely the first one is the best one. Yeah. But the one is like where it's like the whole like Drew Barrymore thing. And it's like being chased around like the kitchen and stuff like that from a guy in the woods. Uh, so yeah, that would be a really good double bill with this one for sure. But I also think Wait Until Dark. I think you'll really enjoy that one. You'll have to let me know if you check it out. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This is the end of our discussion. But before we go, Andy, can you tell me, were the movies a hit or a miss with you? I'd say a hit on Letterboxd, uh, which I'm at AY Film if people want to look me up. Uh, I would say that Hush was a four stars and Sound of Metal was a full five stars. I really enjoyed both, made a solid double bill and a, a good evening of entertainment. What about you? Were they uh, hit, miss, uh, somewhere in between? They're, they're both hits for me, you know? like Right on. As far as the rating system, it's a little different, but as far as like movies to watch that are enjoyable, they were hits for me. Right on, man. That's awesome. Andy, can you tell us, like, do you have any projects coming up? Yeah, I'm. Uh, on, I have a podcast called Best Picture, where we're watching all of the Oscar movies, and that's on all of the apps and stores. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, I'll be on a big project or not. I'm kind of waiting to hear. But yeah, you can look up my website at Andy Young Film to see uh, stuff I've done as a film editor and uh, catch me on all your social medias and stuff. Uh, but hit me up on Letterbox. I love talking to other movie fans uh, like Jason, so it's uh, that's definitely the place I like hanging out the most. So AY Film on Letterbox if you're gonna find me. All right, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. And until next time, cross off a new film from your list. Thank you for listening to the Hitlist Podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us five stars and leaving a review. It really does help. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Hitlist Podcast and Instagram at the underscore Hitlist underscore podcast. 